Welcome to Small Places, the podcast where you can listen to conversations on challenging adultism, understanding children's rights, and fight for children's liberation. I'm your host, Eloise Rickman, and I'll be talking to activists, academics, educators, authors, and those who are on the front lines of this vital work. If you enjoy listening, why not sign up to Small Places on Substack, where you'll find essays, Q&As, and many more resources. You can join for free, or you can subscribe for just £5 a month to support my work and help me bring you more conversations just like this one. Now for this week's episode. Today I'm speaking with Megan, who is online as the Unschool Files. In our conversation, we discuss her work with young people who live without school, including setting up a zine for unschoolers, running a queer-affirming teen travel collective, and running a mentorship scheme for self-directed young people. We talk about adultism, consent, partnership parenting, and so much more. And we also get into the nitty-gritty of what this kind of work actually looks like in real life away from social media. The uncomfortable conversations, the tricky decision-making, and the moments of wondering if we're getting it right. I know you're going to love this conversation as much as I did. And whatever your own family life looks like, I really hope that our conversation will leave you with lots to think about. So, Megan, thank you so much for offering to join me. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Eloise. I'm really honored to have the invitation. So for anyone who isn't familiar with you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you decided to get into this line of work? Okay. Um, my hands are in a, my hands are in a lot of things. Yeah. So, um, okay. I'm a parent first and foremost of, uh, three teens tween. My, my youngest is about to be 13 and really isn't identifying as a teenager quite yet, but you know, tweens and teens. Um, I'm a community organizer. I am a podcaster, um, a zine curator, uh, a traveler and, I would consider myself a youth rights advocate, although I'm not um, one who like does a lot of writing or thinking or musing around it. It's really more, um, how can I tangibly help youth? Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of a, in a very brief nutshell, the things that I do. Um, do you want me to expand on any one of those? Well, so I think something that first is what drew my eye to your work is that you also unschool all of your young people as well Um, and I think there's sometimes a bit of a preconception that homeschooling home education unschooling whatever you decide to call it is fine when children are little you know it's really cute for like six seven year olds who can be frolicking around or doing art all day or whatever they want to do but yet I think there is still a real resistance that when young people get into their tweens their teens that this is the time now that they should be doing serious work and studying for exams or attending schools or colleges and you obviously have these three young people in your life who learn without school and I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about what that looks like for you. Yeah um, you know I didn't I forgot to even mention that at the top that that's like sort of the theme and the and the way that which I do all of this work is through unschooling and self-directed education and perhaps it's because Unschooling and self-directed education is how we live, but it's not really our identity, um, which I could go into, but my young people really don't. Um, I'm, 
on their lead, they don't particularly care about the ins and the outs of theory and adult intellectualization of how they are living and learning and loving. Um, they're just living and learning and loving, right? And yeah. um, living their lives regularly. So um, yeah, it's really interesting because I asked my youngest who is gonna be 13 soon, um, she asked, you know, what, what are you doing? What color are you on today? And I, I shared with her briefly and she's like, um, you know, what's it about? And I said, it's about, you know, being with teenagers, unschooling teenagers, working with teenagers, you know, and the work that I do. And um, I was like, is there anything that you think that you want people to know about like our life and the way that we live? And she was like, I really just mostly want every adult who listens to stop asking kids, why aren't they in school? Yes. <laughs> Please, like, even if you don't unschool, even if like has nothing to do with home learning at all, just stop looking at students and look at the people, right? Like stop Mm -hmm. seeing them as a pupil of the school system and where they should be spending their time and wondering, what's this bump in the algorithm? Why are you here? Is there no school? Is it a holiday? Are you sick? Like all of those lines of questioning. that was the biggest thing that she wanted to drive home about the way we live our lives is that adults should stop seeing children as students and wondering why they're not in school when they see them yeah that's such a good (laughs) point so anyone listening to this please stop asking young people why they're not in school and it just struck me as you were saying that but it could potentially be a really intrusive question as well you know even if you are thrilled to talk about it as you say you might be actually recovering from sickness or you might have other really personal issues going on which mean that you're not in school even though perhaps you usually would be or there's just you know let's just normalize not asking people intrusive personal questions about their lives and we don't know them yeah definitely yeah and she also um has said things to me about the way adults talk to children um which I guess is sort of the praxis of why we live our life this way like it is to to try and take this adultism that is out in the world and at least create a space where it's trying to break away from those things. Cause I'm never going to say that we are a perfectly adultism free home and, yes. you know, no hard things ever come up. We are de-schooling and decolonizing probably forever. So uh, that's very real. Um, but one thing that she that she shares additionally about the way adults speak to children is why do adults state the obvious to children? Like, oh, you're so tall. Oh, your hair's so long. Oh, what lovely glasses, like pointing out the things on and about their body. She's like, that should go. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I've really noticed that my daughter is quite tall for her age. And also has quite long hair. And it is, it almost feels like these are sort of safe things for people to comment on when they don't really know her. But again, you know, I think that can be really, commenting on children's appearances in Mm. any case is never going to be good. But especially if you have a child who is taller than their friends or who is shorter than their friends or who, you know, who wears glasses, for example, and who might be quite sick of people pointing it out to them every single day. Um, you know you again you don't know what that child is going through um, and it just feels like the least interesting thing you could be talking about you know asking, like, what are you into right now have you seen any good films recently what books do you like you know what do you like doing with your friends um, it feels like there are so many different ways to connect but I do wonder if the fact that we often 
jump on maybe physical appearance is that as a society I don't think we're often very good at talking to children especially Mm. children that we don't have a connection with um, because we live in such an age segregated way but often unless you have your own children and then you become friends with other families who have children of a similar age Mm. you know there might be a long period maybe say from your teens all the way up into your 20s or 30s where you really don't interact much with people who are younger than you and I think we've kind of maybe it's different where you live in southern Europe but here in the UK it really does feel like people are often not great with children. I find that um oh so I'll try to be brief around the way that I describe this, but I find that children are almost seen in certain countries and in other countries not, which I will actually say, I noticed in Spain that there are play structures everywhere. Um, There are just kids playing pickup games of soccer and uh, football and just being out and about. And it's like designed for them to be in the space. And so like where I live in Italy, you don't see playgrounds. You don't, I mean, there are piazzas and people are, you know, you may find a child scootering in a piazza, um, but you certainly don't play them, see them playing pickup games. Um, Everything's kind of tucked away. And so that to me is indicative of how welcoming it is for children, right? So if a city is not designed in a way that says, hey, come play on this, then they may not be inclined to, or if they are climbing on things that aren't intended for play then there's like a whole like there's social backlash for that right yeah it's very frustrating it is really frustrating I I mean my we've moved around a lot so we're living in Europe now but we've lived in Asia we've lived in America we are Americans um and even in America I remember so many times you know we'd be sitting at a restaurant that's like dining outside where there's a playground nearby and you know my young people might be getting kind of bored of the playground and scoot over to the wall and start scaling the side of a wall you know and the way adults just instantly are like get down from there yeah that's not allowed like it's the way that there's this reaction of like criminalizing their behavior in the way that we can right with a power system and a power structure that is just big bad adults over young children Mm -hmm. um, instead of police officers over yeah a marginalized group right (laughs) And I think that often we don't stop to think about why we want a child to stop climbing a wall or to stop running around. And mm. I think often if we interrogated it, there wouldn't be a very good reason. You know, maybe like one time out of 10, it might be legitimately dangerous. And then you might want to say to them, you know, these are the risks, make mm-hmm. a, you know, make a sensible judgment around it. But so much it's just, well, this isn't what you do. This isn't what it was made for. This wasn't made for you. And I think, again, we could probably have a whole different conversation on this, but so often I think it feels like a kind of instinctive knee jerk of just, well, I was told not to do that as a child. So good parenting is replicating these norms and these rules. And I think sometimes as well as parents who are parenting in maybe quite a different way to the mainstream, I think sometimes you really have to hold your nerve because it can be quite embarrassing. Um, my husband said that recently he was on the train with our daughter and I can't quite remember what she was doing but something which wasn't harming anyone like she was sitting in the luggage rack or something when there was no luggage and it was a really empty train 
and he said one of the she had headphones in so she wasn't she didn't hear but he said there was someone on the train getting more and more angry with him for like not stopping her and he was like well she's not hurting anyone she's not breaking any rules she's fine and he said it was just so shocking how like visibly furious this person was but like he wasn't controlling what our daughter was doing and I think that instinct is probably in a lot of people without really knowing why they feel so angry about it yeah that is uh that is an aspect of what Akila S. Richards calls schoolishness and that is the way parents um became agents of school and expected these things right like certain types of manners certain types of behaviors Mm -hmm stay in your lane you don't touch these things you are to be seen and not heard like you know all of the all of those types of things but this is not made for you that's the first time I've heard it phrased that way this Mm. was made for you and I guess like coming back to the fact that your work has tended to focus more on teens in recent years at least I think that sense of this is not for you is at least for young children depending on where you live in the world there may be play structures that they can go and play on or there may be more kind of indulgence from other people of like oh you know it's a cute little three-year-old toddling around on their scooter like that's adorable but yet when people get to the tween years to the teen years it feels like suddenly not only are there no special places for them to go especially which don't involve spending money which often teens and tweens don't actually have access to Mm. but suddenly it's like well I I'm not allowed into the the adult areas and the areas for young children I'm also often not allowed in you know we'll often see signs on playgrounds like no people over the age of eight or no no people over the age of 10 um or you know they don't want to be playing on little roundabouts because they're 15 that's not fun for them and I feel really deeply sorry for teenagers and how they tend to be seen yeah I think the teenage experience is really interesting um and I don't think people, maybe we don't quite connect, maybe we've blocked out and we can't quite connect with what it felt like to be a teenager, that in-between phase. Um, Yeah, I guess rooting back to the beginning when you asked me about, you know, getting into unschooling and and our lives, you know, we've been unschooling about nine, ten-ish years now. Um, My oldest is going to be 18 in a couple of weeks and ready to launch into the world, um, which looks a lot like the way he's living now with continued support with more uh, a little more accountability a little more you know a little more things that he's doing in the world um and has access to more because the law will see him as an adult (laughs) yes so there's that um and like I said before my youngest is 12 going on 13 so um we've moved out of the phase of running you know in the woods with no shoes on and scaling walls um and you know, I would say playing video games, but that is definitely something that's still, that's still happening. Um, uh, but yeah, we've we've kind of outgrown that cute phase that you were describing. Mm-hmm. I'm using air quotes there. Um, and the world does see them differently. The world, I mean, they bump up against the world everywhere we go. And oftentimes as Americans in Europe, we're just kind of, the benefit of the doubt is basically that we are probably tourists is generally how we're looked at. So it's not quite like living in America where you're in your everyday neighborhood and people are noticing that you're not in school and there's like that weird stigma. It's a little less here, but people still ask. Mm. Um, Even my fruit and vegetable shop asked my daughter this week. So 
I think that um, I think that what teens are experiencing, especially given the last few years of, of what we've all ex collectively experienced as what I would categorize as a serious trauma, um, is that they've lost a lot of time. Mm. They've lost a lot of the ability to, and I, I mean, I understand that we're on a spectrum, right, of all of us lost something during that time. Yeah. There's something really unique about what experience the teenagers have had yes. um, and the experiences that they didn't get to have. Yes. And where their brain has moved ahead, right, in development, but their body, their physical body has, has not built sort of like muscle memories of different things, right? Mm -hmm. Even, even things that seem silly and, and things that even adults might scoff at, like getting to make out, like your body just didn't get to do it, you know? And now you're just maybe strangely stumbling around as a 17, 18 year old. And just like, I feel kind of like I'm 15. Yes. You know? Yeah, definitely. And I think that was so not talked about. You know, I think during the period of lockdowns and there was and the period immediately afterwards, at least here in the UK, there was a lot of discussion of very young children. I think there was a bit of a recognition that these young children have really lost something. And obviously, because we live in an adultist society, so much of that was framed in terms of deficits within the children. So, oh, look, these children are really behind in terms of their language development, or their behavior is not where we would like it to be. Or we've had really sadly, a big increase in very, very young children being excluded from schools. Um, and similarly, I think with older, older children, young people, there has been a lot of discussion around, well, they've missed out on um, like getting the exam results they would usually want to get or it's been more difficult for them going to university but there has been so little discussion of just how much they have missed out in terms of those opportunities like when I think to my life as a teenager almost every day after school I would be at a friend's house hanging out doing homework together spending time you know trying to sneak into pubs underage going to gigs I was really lucky I grew up in a, a fun city we've had loads of like music gigs on and I don't know we were constantly doing things we were constantly at each other's houses we didn't want to be at home with our parents all day we wanted to be out in the world doing things figuring out who we were and I remember saying to my husband at the time I feel really sorry for a lot of groups of people I mean, I felt sorry for us at the time as well, but I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be a teenager at that time. It just feels really brutal. Yeah, really, really brutal. And that, you know, layered with the way that adults see teenagers, right, as inherently suspicious. Mm. They're not allowed to go into shops with a bag on without, you know, assuming that they could be thieves. Um, so without, you know, those labels of being suspicious and up to no good and this whole idea of their bodies, um, many, many teenagers' bodies advancing to a point that they look like adults mm. and so this expectation that they should behave like adults um, and seems like the same group of people who conveniently want them to behave like adults also like to use brain science arguments against teenagers for like why they're not capable of doing certain yes, things definitely like we'll treat you as adults when it suits us and otherwise we'll justify that you can't vote and you can't have freedom and you can't right. do all of these things and I think actually in terms of that I think that that probably 
you know, it affects, I'm sure, different genders differently. But I imagine for a lot of girls as teenagers, they may well look older than they are and have these expectations of being more mature in terms of their behavior mm-hmm. when actually they might just want to be yeah, messing around with their friends doing what lights them up. Right. Um, here it's interesting to hear you say that they are often treated with suspicion and like they're up to no good um here in the UK I mean I don't know if it's legal in other countries I would hope not it is so dark there is a thing which you can buy whether you're a, a, a business owner or just a homeowner um it's called a mosquito repellent and it is for specifically, it's, it's targeted as a teenager repellent and it makes, it emits a noise at a frequency which adults can't hear, but teenagers can. And it's to prevent young people loitering what? in front of businesses or homes. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can Google it. Just Google like mosquito teenage repellent. It's like, when I first read about it, I thought it was a joke. It's not a joke. It's like a, a genuine thing that you can buy and it is completely legal to have. And I think it just summarizes how messed up our view is of young people oh my gosh yeah it kind of reminds the visual I got in my mind was nothing related to mosquitoes or zappers or even buzzers it was actually um I was walking in a street one day um actually when I was in Spain and saw a wall someone's property wall with like a concrete wall with a gate and the gate had a big lock on it but all along the top of the wall was like cemented broken glass. Yes, we have that in the UK too. It's awful. Like, I mean, <laughs> you often get it here near bus stops with the, the kind of implicit idea being like, if you need to wait for a bus and you're tired and want to sit down, don't sit on our wall. Oh no. Oh. Like what has, what has, the, what has the world come to? <laughs> I mean, I know you and I have had some other discussions in the past about like just people's rights to be, right? To be and exist and to be able to move freely. Um, That is, that's what I was thinking about as you were saying that. It was like, wow. So it's virtually like, you know, don't sit on my wall. Yeah. Don't sit on my wall. Don't stand in front of my house or my business. Like, you know, you can exist, but not anywhere near me, which will inconvenience me. And then you wonder why some young people feel really angry at adults you think no wonder they've got a lot to feel angry about Mm. oh my gosh yeah you know I think teens um want to be heard they want to be seen they want to be trusted and they want most of all I think their parents and their caregivers whoever the people are that they live with and like spend their their immediate family time with to be on their side, mm. to not play advocate yeah. for everyone else outside of them, yeah. but to hear them, that I know for a fact. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if they do go to school, to have that person at home that they can turn to and be like, I've had a rubbish day. My teacher got cross at me. I've been given a detention. I'm really angry because I've been given all this extra homework to do. And just have someone who's going to be like, yeah, that really sucks. I'm really sorry. It's a rubbish, rubbish system, but like we've got to navigate it rather than piling on more shame and more punishment on top. It's I think there's such a power in having just one or two adults really who are going to be on your side. Yeah, yeah. And it's I think it's deep work for parents mm-hmm. and adults of all of all types, whether you're a parent or not, um, because I think that all 
adults can be allies and advocates for youth, schooled, unschooled, homeschooled, it doesn't matter. Um, we can be advocates for these young people by just thinking about what we say. And just to your point around like loading it on with shame, right? Like piling on a bunch of shame around something like just a complaint about the day, something someone said in class or something their teacher said or whatever. How that goes wrong is when a parent's like, well, you know, they probably didn't mean it. Yes. You have literally just taken everything they said they feel and went, that doesn't matter because this person probably didn't mean it. Yeah. It's real gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the work is definitely in adults to sit with what, with what you are saying and think about how you would want to be talked to as a young person figuring things out without access to all of the tools and the resources that you're supposed to be figuring the things out with. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's why one of the reasons I really wanted to chat to you is because I think the work that you're doing really fills a deep need for so many teens to have a space where they can go, where they're going to feel heard, they're going to feel supported, they're not going to feel judged. Um, and I love that you're running this travel program for self-directed teens because it feels like one of the nice things maybe for some people about going to school is having the opportunities to go on trips away yeah. from your family with your school friends and I think sometimes as home educators as unschoolers it can be hard to have those experiences replicated and I just love that you're creating something specifically for young people and it feels yeah such a joyful thing to be facilitating can you tell us a little bit more about it yeah um so there's three things that I'm doing for for youth and I'll share those before I go into um, Rome and then I'll share the other two with you so yes. one is that I curate a unschooling zine which features the works and arts and and poetry and photography and all sorts of things from unschoolers around the world. And I've published five and I'm on issue six. And that is something that um, I do to sort of bring unschoolers together and have them have an opportunity to be seen and to be heard. Um, the second thing is Rome Teen Travel is a program that I launched with my good friend, Sarah. Um, we so we, I co-founded this with her after we both had individual dreams for years around creating something. And we came together um, and launched Rome this past spring. And I will tell you more about that. Yeah. Um, and the third thing that I am doing is offering a opportunity for young people to be mentored through a youth partnership program um, on my website that will have a robust list of mentors available um, so that young people can kind of scroll through, watch their videos, um, see what they have to offer and find meaningful connection with mm. um, adults who understand self-directed education and unschooling intimately um, and, be, and can be good partners with them outside of their relationship with their parents, which yeah. you know is something to kind of touch on what you said around like getting away from um, your family and, and having access to opportunities that are outside of your family. So Rome, uh, to circle back around, is so special. Um, we just had our first trip in Barcelona and there were 15 of us total and we did parents and teens. So it was a parent-teen duo trip. Um, and the reason we did this is to sort of have a soft launch yeah. and provide um, the opportunity for some young people who might be really hesitant to do something like this, but to have the safety and the comfort of their parent close by, but without the intention of it being like parents all gathering up and deciding, here's what we're going to do. And then yes. the team following. 
Um, so we, you know, spent 10 days together in community. We lived in a shared house and we cooked and we cleaned and we traveled and we played and we did all of the things. It was amazing. Um, but I don't want to share too much about the Barcelona trip because I know the question is really, how is this helping teenagers in the situation that we were talking about before? And the way that I think that this helps young people is gets them out into the world and allows them the opportunity to connect with other teenagers, um, be in a space that is already affirming to marginalized groups and identities. Um, we are a queer affirming program and that is an important part of the program because, well, quite frankly, Sarah and I are both American and in the USA, uh, queer kids are being basically outlawed, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's something that we wanted to make sure was a top priority that marginalized groups and that, um, queer kids were going to be welcome and safe and that we would be all together, you know, um, a group that would prioritize their safety and their comfort, um, and their ability to exist exactly as they are, however they want to be called, um, you know, whatever they want to wear everything is welcome well, so. I feel like I'm gonna like tear up it's such a beautiful beautiful thing like I imagine that for some young people that is such a haven as well to feel like finally oh I can be who I am I can present how I want to present I can just you know I can stop masking those parts of me that I was holding so tightly onto that's such a gift that you're offering yeah you know it makes me really um, emotional because I'm just recalling the the way that this 10 days unfolded with these young people and naturally when we all came together it was super awkward right we had been talking for months we'd seen each other's faces for months we'd known each other's names for months I'm sure we'd all ran through a million things in our heads about how these engagements would go right but it's awkward at first um and the way that they all just opened up and slowly showed themselves that felt like a gift like I I was I was honored to be able to witness that kind of thing happen, to see young people almost quite literally just peel off yeah. the map and just, hey guys, this is who I am, you know? That is amazing. And I imagine that there are so few spaces, especially like you say, in some countries, in some communities where you can do that and where you know that that's going to be safe for you. And why you know that, yeah, everyone who's there has explicitly signed up to be like, yes, we share these values. You know, whoever we are, we're, even if we're completely different to you, we're still going to affirm you, we're still going to support you, we're still going to love you and care for you. And I feel like that really seems to summarize in so many ways what young people need. They don't need us to be making decisions for them or telling them what to do. They just need us to completely embrace them as who they are and support and cherish them for that. Yeah, definitely. In the context of being together on a trip, it's such a tricky balance of, um, I'm going to refer back to Akila S. Richards again, with the concept of a push hold, which is like, how much do you hold back and just mm -hmm. let things be the way that they need to be? And how much do you push a little bit to try to get things going, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know you had asked about how decisions are made and you know, we talked a little bit about 
parents not doing all of the all of yes. the lifting of like, hey, this is what we're doing, and the kids just kind of coming along. Um, but really listening to the to the teens, listening to what they're what they're saying about their bodies. Um, we talked a lot about. Um, you know, sort of operating at the lowest level of tolerance mm. we to get a shared house that was up on a hill. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> our walk from our shared house to our Metro stop, not very far on a huge hill. Yeah. So not all of our teens are people who walk all yep. the time, right? Not all of our teens are people who are spending all of this time building this sort of like walking muscle memory of being yeah. in the city. So we have to keep that in mind. We have to look at, you know, what are we able to do here? And there are, are there solutions around, you know, what we're able to do and what maybe part of the group may have desires that exceed where part of the group is able. Yeah. So how, how do you accommodate that? And what we saw naturally occur was most of the time, those whose desires exceeded the abilities of those who were limited would kind of circle around and be like, Hey, you yeah. still got it. We're going, you know, yeah. we're, so we're, here. we're together. And then part of the time they'd be like, Hey, is it cool if we have maybe like a group that does this at this level yeah. and then a group that does this at this level, that's, that works too. Like, yeah. and the way that they sort of naturally found a balance mm-hmm. of, and to push and hold on their own, like when they should push on for themselves, like I know that the that there's a a group back there that's not really wanting to do this thing, but I'm gonna just run to the top of these stairs, you know. Yeah. Um. So it, that was really really beautiful to see that, and a lot of the decision making was very. Um. We didn't put any real structure around it. Mm-hmm. We, I think Sarah and I both have you know thoughts around making sure that we have every person's consent about what the plan is. Yeah in some capacity. We haven't created anything formal around like sitting as a circle and like getting to everyone. But at one point in the trip, we did have to call a circle and say, hey, everybody out by the pool because we're finding some sticky points around like what we want to do and what we have the capability to do and what there's time for and all these things. How are we going to make this happen? You know? Um, And so we sat around a pool and everyone didn't always have something to say like audibly. Yeah, but body language says things, um, and when they answer a question with a yes or a no, that says a lot. Mm. You know, like listen to what the yes or the no might be. You know, watch for the body language. Look for a way to say, okay, so am I hearing you say that you might be okay with that, um, but that it's not your preference, or that you would like this instead? So there's a lot of like communicating and interpreting, like with young people who maybe aren't quite comfortable, right? Like just saying all of this out loud. Um, And so it takes, you know, it takes a lot for Sarah and I to connect with each one of them and and really try to develop relationship with Mm -hmm. them. Um, And 10 days seems like such a long time, but when you're talking about building relationship and taking the mask off, right? And getting to the point where you're like this with each other at the end, that's a very short amount of time. To do really that. Short. it's really impressive that you were able to get to that point in such a small window well I think this particular trip having parents with us helped a lot because yeah. it's having the comfort of knowing my mom or my dad is here they're maybe not hanging out with them a lot um yeah. they they all everybody came with their own agreements too, their own family shared agreements of like hey we agreed to do 
these things. And I don't know how those agreements came to be at their home, but yeah. if we all have the shared foundational agreement that we are here to, you know, allow for these young people to kind of call the shots, if yeah. you will, and say what, what we're going to be doing, that that should be the foundation of, mm-hmm. of how we select things. But I feel like this is a really long-winded thing to say, but it's, it's important to note that when there's a lot of options on the table and you're going to a new city, what we're finding is, is that teens may look at all those options and be like, I don't know, uh, maybe I want to see that. Maybe I want to see this. I don't know. Maybe I want to see what I feel like when I'm there, you know? And so, um, trying to get them to make a lot of decisions ahead of time isn't real productive because it creates a pressure, I think, of like, we really have to decide these things. And so I think that's something we've learned um, a little bit is is that maybe in the communicating of all these things that we needed to look at ahead of time, that maybe we didn't quite have the right tools, right? right? Maybe we should have had like a PDF of seven things for them to look at, right? And say, what do you think of these seven things? Check the ones that you like x the ones that you don't kind of thing it was more open-ended truly self-directed like let us know what you think um which I think my point in sharing that is that self-directed doesn't always have to mean everything is fully open-ended fully autonomous like sometimes people need to be presented with some options sometimes Mm -hmm. a little bit of a rubric sometimes they need support around not selecting an option and knowing that they'll have time to do this or that instead in place of selecting these options. And so really, I guess what I'm getting at is that it requires being very agile with a variety of teenagers and personality types. Well, that's why I find it so interesting that you're choosing to do it as we are all traveling from different locations to a new city or new place. Because even, you know, just like going on holiday as a family, Often there are a lot of decisions that need to be made on the day based on like people's energy levels, what the weather's doing, what we fancy doing that day, how well we slept the night before. You know, there's already, even just as a family of three, a lot to go into thinking about when you're on on a holiday somewhere. So coming together as a big group of different people who maybe haven't met in person before and then having to make all of those decisions, it feels like really ambitious, but also really exciting. Like what amazing (laughs) practice at making those decisions and at listening to other people and at trying to find consent for what you want to be doing. Um, All things which I think often we don't give children of all ages really enough experience in doing. And then we wonder why when it gets to, you know, our workplaces or our political systems or so many other things, why we still are in sometimes such a like adversarial mode rather than trying to seek mm-hmm. consent for consensus trying to find solutions which work for everyone because right how could we when we've never been taught or given the space to figure out how to do that yeah yeah um well let's see let me let me share about an example of how we might have made a, a decision the pool the pool conversation where i you know we all said we've we've got to figure these last few days out we were running out of steam um, some of us were really tired, our bodies were hurting, but we also had things that we still wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things were home things and some of the things were out things, which to say about the, you know, arriving in a, in a city, wherever the cities are that we pick, I think it's great because it's neutral ground. We're all new there, right? <laughs> we all get to be explorers together and figure it out. And we create some like basic agreements, like, mm-hmm. 
three hours is probably our limit of walking and being out before we're going to stop and take a break, you know, do something else. Um, maybe we rest in a park, maybe we go back to the Airbnb for the entire day and it's a cookout day or we play games or everybody just goes and does their individual thing and might yeah. be on their phones or reading or drawing or whatever. So the idea was not just to like hit the ground running like a family holiday and tour, 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 tour and see all the things, but to live with each other um, and share a space with one another and learn about how to hold space for other people who aren't always like you. Um, so where was I going to go with that? I lost my train of thought in why I started sharing that. That's fun. You were going to talk about the pool and the decision-making. Ah, yes. The pool, the pool. So our last few days, um, we're, we're there and we were like, what do we want to do to, to maximize this time? And, um, we had a few, you know, things where people were like, well, I'm concerned if we do this, we won't get to do that. Or I'm, I'm fine with just hanging out here at the house for the last three days. And some of the, you know, some of the pushback from Sarah and I, me specifically was, I veto that. <laughs> I veto that in the group, like three whole days in another country in this opportunity, like we could at least walk to a coffee shop or like do something really, really low impact. Um, probably not the next three days, right? Staying in the house. Yeah. And those are things that are kind of uncomfortable to say. Yeah. Um, but at that point, we'd already built in some relationship and some rapport, right? Mm. And there was sort of some silliness around my veto that yeah. allowed for the space, I think, for it to be heard. Mm. Um, but also, it was probably still pretty adultist. And the teen was probably like, whatever. An adult says they veto it, they veto it. But real talk, I don't think I don't think three days hanging on the Airbnb while you're on a very limited 10 day trip is probably the greatest idea. So I take a little bit of inspiration from Blake Bowles. He runs trips for teens that are very adventurous, stark mm -hmm. different from what Sarah and I are offering. Yeah. Um, and the way that he sort of like pushes teens to their limits of like, how far can you go is very inspiring. Mm. And certain type of teenager that's going to do that yeah and I think yeah. it's a certain type of teenager that's going to come on Rome trips do you know what I mean so I think we could probably borrow from each other's ideas and how we interact with youth but I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all and what it, Sarah and I are offering is something that's a little more tender it's a little more held um but also has some push to it you know yeah. Yeah, and I think you probably don't sign up to a trip like that, even a more gentle trip. If you don't, I don't know, want to be experiencing new things and want to be pushed a little bit. Uh, I think that is valuable. And I think it's like with any relationship, right? Like if I was on a holiday with my husband and I was like, oh, you know what? Let's just like spend a few days doing nothing. It would be fine for him to also be like, come on. Like you might think you want this now, but actually you might well regret it later. Like, let's just explore a little bit. And I guess it feels like it's tricky, isn't it? It feels like there's a, I know intent doesn't always make up for how people perceive things, but I do think there is something, particularly when you are in a position of having more power as an adult, I do think intent also matters. Like, am I doing this because I just want my way to be right. the way? Or am I doing this because... 
I think that, you know, with all of my consideration and experience, I feel like actually this is going to be a good option for the group to be exploring. And I think there are quite different ways of approaching conflict like that. A hundred percent. And I think, um, I think kind of what I'm speaking to around Sarah and I's approach is that the way we've both been unschooling for a lot of years, um, she has already launched somebody uh, into the world from unschooling um, and has a second one almost ready to launch. Um, and so, or going that direction towards launching, I don't want to speak too much for their experience, but um, we operate with nuanced uh, understanding and behavior around all of this that I think I could categorize as just like internet speak, like the way that the way that um, adults are, to my children's point, the way that adults are intellectualizing yeah. youth rights and consent and how we should behave and what's right and you know whether or not you should do this and these kinds of behaviors are are adultist and these kinds of behaviors are are approved and you should do these. Those all to me like categorizing the goods and the bads and all of that it roots back to the same systems of oppression that got us in the situation that we're in here, um, and it's much more nuanced than just mm -hmm. black and white categorization of things. And when you are in relationship with people, truly in relationship with them, seeing them, being seen by them, holding that space actually, not just talking about it, but actually being in a sometimes difficult spaces, mm -hmm. right? Like having to tell the teenagers, hey, uh, we agreed that this was breakfast food and it's midnight and you're eating three yogurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's uncomfortable. I don't want to have to say it, right? It's awkward, but I have to say it. Yeah. And could could you break that down in a very black and white way to mean that an adult came in and said a, a young person couldn't have the thing that they wanted in that moment and they needed because they were hungry? Sure. Sure, you could you could really reduce that interaction down to something very black and white, but that's not really what is occurring. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what I'm trying to say around being nuanced with these um, these sort of tenets of how to be with young people in a way that isn't adultist and that is sort of de-schooling and decolonizing these ways that adults have been conditioned to treat children and teenagers is that it isn't just black and white. And the things that you read, the books that you read, the book clubs you might be in, you know, the Instagram slides that you like and reshare, all of those things are true and when you're actually in relationship, it's a little stickier than that. And, and I work. think the same for all relationships. It's like, you know, you could read a book on like, you know, 10 steps to a great marriage or whatever. But like when you're in the mess of it with your partner, it feels different. Like you're, you're real people. You both bring your complexities and your baggage and your, you know, your, your, I don't know, your personal preferences and your quirks and everything else along. Um, and I think also something which I'm starting to see discussed a bit more, which makes me feel really excited, is that I think sometimes, and I think this is true sometimes for both unschooling and for home education more generally, and even sometimes like peaceful parenting, gentle parenting, is that I think it has tended to be seen in quite an individualistic way just like this is the best way for like an individual person to thrive or this is how your child is going to get all of their needs met and mm. we often forget like with the experience of you know you're saying like what if you eat three yogurts what's missing from that is that actually they might mean that other people can't have breakfast or you know I think we need to also be really clear that kind of a 
I don't know, a truly holistic, a truly, I guess, like democratic, sociocratic, community minded education is one where it's not just about individual relationships, but also relationships within like wider community and wider family structures and whether that's with siblings or whether that's with others. It feels like such an important piece that is sometimes missing from the kind of very black and white advice that's given. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just thinking that if, uh, this is gonna sound really strange, but like, if I needed to have my obituary written tomorrow, <laughs> and my children wrote it, they might say something like, quote me, and be like, this is the quote from my mom. You don't <laughs> exist in a vacuum. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because we aren't. Like, we're not just a solitary particle floating yeah. around all on our own. Absolutely. There's a collection of, of us all around and everything we do and say impacts others as much as we think it doesn't. Yeah. It does. It really does. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really beautiful quote. I think you can be happy to have that on your, your <laughs> congratulations. I'm now thinking what would my daughter say mine would be. I hope it wouldn't be something like, remember to brush your teeth. <laughs> so it's, you know. Good to think about. <laughs> yeah. These are such good things, I think, for people to hear when they think about unschoolers, because unschooling often has this like, I don't know, it's such a misnomer in so many ways because it makes people think that you are just un-everything um, mm -hmm. and that there's just there's zero anything all the time. And and that you might not find someone who says, remember to brush your teeth. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I literally anyone listening right now who is unschooling, it is okay. It is okay to say, remember to brush your teeth yeah. or have to brush your teeth. That is not coercive. It is not you using your power over them. I would like to dispel that myth now. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think this is sometimes a preconception, isn't it? That like, you can't have that relationship with your child, that you can remind them to do things that are important for them to do. And actually that is part of, you know, loving, being in a loving parental relationship sometimes yeah. is reminding your child to do things which nurture their body or care for their health or, you know, whatever it is that's needed. Um, and there are lots of children who don't have that. And I find that, yeah, really, really sad that they don't have that. So, yeah. That's part of partnership for me. So I guess, you know, the way that I would describe the way that I am with my children is less about unschooling and self-directed education, because that's kind of more the way that it's described as like a learning philosophy or pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And what I actually am with them is their partner. Yeah. We're in partnership. Mm. And through partnership, we can say things like that to each other. Yeah. Now, there's a big dot, dot, dot after that, because that can also go a lot of different ways. Like, remember to brush your teeth. You don't want to have ugly, disgusting teeth that someone might not want. Like, you know, all the things that you yes. can say after that that would be so wrong and all. Yeah. Those things are a no. <laughs> um, but I feel like just a lot of blanket um, advice and statements and I don't know, maybe just dogma. It can be, it can turn into dogma, you know? Yeah. Um, when And I think part of that roots back to sort of this like, um, the ideal of like sorting and dividing how you were talking about like these are things we do and these are things we don't do and like it's it happens in food the way we control food and like what young people should be able to eat whether or not they should have this or that um, and all of those sort of sort and divide techniques are again just techniques of oppression 
and they categorize things as good and bad so that we can then go, well, these are the things that I do. And that person over there doesn't do the things that I do. Therefore they're out. I'm in like, it's more othering and more participation in those same ways. And you're just using a new tool that says, I'm free. My child is free. We're just wild and free running in the woods, you know? (laughs) Um, so it's just, it's, it's so complex. <laughs> it is. And I think sometimes having those rules, maybe for some people they're helpful, you know, having like a parenting script. And I think especially if you have maybe experienced really radically different parenting in your own childhood, sometimes having a kind of a black and white script of like, these are things you can say might be helpful if you've never heard those things before. But I do also worry that sometimes having these very black and white rules can actually really distance parents and caregivers from children because they're so worried about doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing but it stops them acting I don't know naturally or from a place of feeling relaxed because they're constantly worrying you know did I say the wrong thing did I accidentally criticize did I accidentally praise them and put on you know external validation did I accidentally do this and I and I think there has to be a limit right of yes read about things try to understand the adult child power relationship that exists around you because without having the language and without having the understanding it's very difficult to change things also don't obsess over it to a point that it is damaging your relationship yeah relationship first and everybody comes to this I think from different angles some people come to unschooling and partnership parenting from an intuitive space without ever having read a book at all and someone just mentions it to them and they're like that feels right that feels like what I've been doing right and other people come to it from an intellectual space where they read a book and we're like you know what my child's not thriving in school and this speaks to me I want to try it right yeah I don't want to denounce all you know all black and white all all ideas um, because obviously those exist for a reason we have Mm. people who do minimal research but there's research out there for a reason um there is people publishing books for a reason these are all things we can read and get our hands on but it's I feel like maybe less of a script and more of like something that can help us be a like be a tool to engage in relationship rather than it be a script for the relationship do you know what I mean yeah I think that makes a lot of sense yeah and is feels a bit more a bit more natural as well yeah yeah so very briefly because I know we've spent so much time chatting about this which is just I feel like we could chat about this forever but I'm mindful of your time um very quickly before we say goodbye to one another I just wanted to touch again and circle back to the mentoring scheme that you mentioned because it just feels like such a beautiful needed opportunity for young people and I think especially children young people who are unschooled in self-directed education I think sometimes there is both a real lack of understanding from other adults who maybe aren't in their direct community around what their life looks like but also sometimes because of that especially if they're not interested in I don't know taking external classes or having teachers or mentors in their community I think sometimes there can be a bit of a a bit of a space where you know, you might otherwise, if you were in school, have a, a trusted teacher or a parent's friend or someone who kind of gets you. And that's why it just feels like such a brilliantly conceived and well-needed project. Can you just talk a little bit about it? 
Yeah, yeah. So the Unschool Files Youth Partnership Program is something that has been developing for months. I started with a group of adults who are also parents within the unschooling world um, who kind of were on board with my idea. I pitched it to five or six of them and was like, hey, I really want to do this. Um, and I should actually say that it was another unschooling parent who initially shared the idea with me in another capacity and like through an app and creating something that was um, I wasn't quite ready to take that on in partnership. And then eventually I created this sort of new way of wanting to house it on my website and brought her on and was like, Hey, let's, let's partner together and we'll launch this on my website and, and see how it does. Um, and a handful of other adults were working with me and we were, you know, exchanging information on what we wanted it to look like. And we met a few times over Zoom to talk about like, what were the importance, um, the important aspects of it? And like, what did we want to make sure that, um, you know, teenagers felt like was available to them mm -hmm. uh, and, and really try to think about it from that perspective versus like, what do we want to offer to teenagers? You know what I mean? Like, I want to offer, you know, um, essay writing and sure, maybe you do offer essay writing, but also like, what do teenagers want to connect mm -hmm. with? And a lot of teenagers, I think, spend a lot of time online. Yeah. Um, and maybe can get help with a variety of things from just bodybuilding, playing video games, um, talking about goals and future plans, helping create, you know, a plan for that and getting them, you know, set up to move towards something that they're interested in, um, playing an instrument with and along with them. Um, you know, reflecting on art that they're doing together, um, just having social and emotional support, um, all sorts of ways I think that we can connect mm -hmm. with aren't just through academics, but also academics, especially because, and this is where I think it gets really important. I think there's something that happens with unschooling teenagers where guilt and shame, no matter how hard we work to try to put those things at bay and say, we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live in guilt and shame. Yeah outside world still has that. The outside world still perpetuates guilt and shame around shortcomings, around gaps in knowledge, around all of these things. And in my personal view, if a teen is to a point where they say, I feel like there's a deficit with these things. I want to know these things because I'm worried about how I feel about myself, or I want to be able to fit into this, or I want to have conversations about stuff and know what I'm talking about, or I just want to be better at math or whatever. Mm. There's something that happens around teens and tweens where the guilt and the shame sets in. That's like, I should know this by now. Right. And because I don't know it by now, I might as well just quit. Give yeah. up. If it's not going to be easy, the, the first couple times I try, maybe I ask my parent, right? Maybe I say, mom, I, can you teach me some math? And my mom doesn't do it very well, or she's not very good at math, or maybe she pulls out a curriculum and I'm like, ah, like, I don't want to do that, you know, and they give up. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge missed opportunity because maybe it just wasn't the right setting, right? Yeah. Maybe you just needed to talk to someone who wasn't your mom. Yes. Someone, someone who's not sitting in fear of, because unschoolers do this too, even lifelong unschoolers, parents still have incredible fears. Sometimes rightfully so. I understand the world is really scary, but we have fears about how our children are going to make it. I cannot tell you how many parents and caregivers I have spoken to who have said, I'm just worried that they're not going to be able to make it. 
I'm just worried that they won't be able to provide for themselves. I'm just worried they won't have the skills they need. I'm just worried. I'm just worried is written all over their face and their body and their everything. And sometimes youth need a break from that. Yeah, it's a huge pressure. I want to talk to someone who isn't as invested in their (laughs) fear over not being successful. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. So this has been months in the making because it's been a very slow build. As I said at the very top of all of this, my hands are in a lot of things from creating a zine to interacting with people online. You know, I organize a community uh, through Discord for parents and caregivers. All of that is free. I run a Patreon to try to help fund the podcast. Like my hands are in a lot of things. And so it's been a slow build, but we are now, mm. I'm like this close. Oh, so exciting. So That's it's really great. Thrilling. Oh, well, I can't wait to hear more about it when it yeah. is close to being launched. That's really thrilling and and see how it builds and how it changes as well. Um, yeah. It sounds like, yeah, a truly needed program. And I'm really excited to see, yeah, see what happens over the years to come. What a thrill. And you mentioned that you've got your hands in all these different projects, including you've got a Patreon, you've got the zine, obviously. Where can people find you online? Where's the best place uh, everything is always going to be found at the unschoolfiles.com. Um, I used to do a link tree and my Instagram and all of that stuff and like have links everywhere, but I'm really working on getting everything to stay right in one link. So the unschoolfiles.com will get you to the discord community. If you are an unschooler, um, it's, I have a, another space that youth can join, um, but it is not an open thing that is shared publicly just to sort of protect yeah. these youth a bombardment of people who come in. Um, but you can, as a young person, also come into the Discord community. Um, and we have had people come in. They usually don't end up staying very long because it's a bunch of adults, yeah. right? <laughs> but sometimes they want to poke around and be like, what are all these adults saying? Yeah. What's going on in here? And we welcome that. So um, yeah, you can join the community from there. You can get issues of the zine. There are five so far. Um, and we have print and digital versions of those. Um, I keep saying we as if there's another person I'm we is me (laughs) we is all of us like this whole project really started with a tiny little podcast um which is still kind of a tiny little podcast that I do as I have time I'm in the middle of a series on um self-directed spaces and how they are meeting the unique needs of their communities so I am actively working on it but it started really as a way to connect parents with each other connect people with each other and to not be a talking head or someone who's just like here to tell you exactly how to execute, you know, unschooling, but to hear stories of people who are unschooled, hear real, you know, tangible ways that self-directed education is being implemented in the world. So um, I hope to keep continue doing that. And anybody who wants to come and support me, please join Patreon. Yes, please do. And I really hope you continue doing it too. You're doing amazing work and it is so inspiring following you and hearing all of your stories so thank you so much for taking the time to chat thank you for having me I really appreciate it thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed our conversation why not sign up to small places on substack where you'll get podcasts essays q and a's and many more resources straight to your inbox you can join for free or subscribe for just five pounds a month to support my work and help me bring you more conversations just like this one. I'll see you next week. Bye for now.